0: Welcome to the Daily Bite. I'm your host, Pastor Steve Andrews. Let's read together from Acts chapter 5. But a man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. Now many signs and wonders were done regularly among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, But during the night an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out, and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council, all the synod of the people of Israel, and sent them to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison, so they returned and reported, We found the prison securely locked, and the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priest heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And someone came and told them, Look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, not but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you to not teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, Men of Israel, Take care what you are about to do with these men. For before these days Thutis rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about four hundred, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice, and when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Our text today starts in the way, really the opposite of the way that yesterday's chapter ended. So we saw that the the congregation of 5,000 people held everything in common. And if anybody was in need, they sold something Um, And they would bring the the proceeds of the sale to the apostles, and they would lay it at their feet, and that would be that would then be distributed to those who were in need. And here we learn that Ananias and Sapphira, husband and wife, have decided to do this—to sell something that was in their possession—in order to provide for the needs of someone else. But instead of bringing it all, they only bring a part of it. Now it's. It's worth having your children unpack this one themselves. What is it that Ananias and Sapphira have done wrong, and why did they do it? So, this is a sin of lying, as Peter will say, not to man, but to God. They've lied to God Himself, which is not possible to actually get away with. God knows the truth. So, they've lied, but why did they do it? Well, there's a couple of things here. I mean, one is greed. So instead of being one with the rest of the congregation, they're setting themselves apart and still clinging to the ways of the world. And the other part of it is not dissimilar from that, but the idea of, of trying to put themselves on a pedestal. This is what Jesus warns against in the Sermon on the Mount. Don't do the things that you do in order to be seen by others don't sell your land and give money to the church in order to be seen by others, but that's exactly what Ananias and Sapphira are doing. So they're being greedy, keeping some of it back for themselves, while at the same time hoping to reap the benefit of being held in higher esteem by the community around them, and it backfires. God knows their hearts. He knows their wickedness, and he strikes them both down on the spot. Ananias first Uh, And then his wife, not being aware of what has happened, she comes in. Peter asks her, I mean, he gives her a chance here. But she is firm in her agreement with her husband to lie before the Lord. And so God strikes her down also. Now, that language may be a challenge to your family, to your kids, to hear that God strikes down. This is true, though. I mean, it's God's judgment, and he has the authority to do so. Uh, You know, God judges sin. It's what he does. It's his role. It's his position as judge, just judge of heaven and earth. And we will all be judged for our sins. I mean, in the old covenant way of doing things, this was the norm. And if you sinned before the Lord, death was the, the normal thing. The exception was forgiveness, the exception was life. Thankfully, in Christ's covenant, the new covenant in the New Testament that we have in his blood on the cross, the rule is now forgiveness in life, with the exception being death. So this is, this is an exception. It is a display of God's authority. It is a display of God's power in order to, well, it's, it's a use of the law, in a sense, to remind people of how holy God is. That they cannot just treat him as though he's nothing. As an opportunity to just improve their lives now. That's not that's not what this is about. It's not what this is for. And so the fear of God is actually a very good thing. It's a needed thing for us as God's people because it, it does. It helps keep us in line. It helps us to avoid sins that we might otherwise be willing to commit. Just as knowing that your parent would discipline you if you did something foolish sometimes prevents a child from doing that foolish thing. And not always, but sometimes. And so the fear of the Lord, which the Old Testament calls the beginning of wisdom, the fear of the Lord is a good thing. And it is, as Jesus would teach And I think it's Matthew chapter 10, It's the the Lord is the only thing that we are to fear. Now, the second part of the text, uh, just a short paragraph there, shows us that the apostles continue on with the work that we've seen in the last couple of chapters. They continue to heal. They continue to perform miracles. And they're right back there into the temple courtyard uh, of the Gentiles, into Solomon's portico on the east side. Now, verse 13, none of the rest dared join them. So fear... Of, of other things than the Lord here is part of the church already, just as it was with the apostles as they waited for, for the resurrection, as they were unsure what would happen. They were afraid. Well, now that fear is striking the rest of the church, they don't dare join them because they're afraid of being arrested. They're afraid of what the, the rulers might do to them if they preach the gospel, but not the apostles at this point. Uh, and so the church continues to grow in verse 14. They're, they're even viewing Peter and this work almost in the similar way that they had viewed Jesus in the gospel accounts, as people would bring their sick to Jesus to heal them, even thinking just touching his cloak would do the job. They're bringing their sick to Peter, even thinking that just a shadow of Peter falling upon them would do the job. And they're now even bringing people from the towns around Jerusalem, which brings us back to Acts chapter 1 verse 8, where Jesus said that you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. The pattern of expanding the gospel outward from the starting point in Jerusalem, moving to the towns around it, we see that happening, beginning to happen here. We're going to really see it begin to happen in chapter 7, or not begin at that point, I guess, but take off, explode. Um, the church just goes everywhere in chapter 7. Or maybe it's the beginning of chapter 8, right around that turn. Now, miracles, miracles are a gift that the Holy Spirit gives to the church as he sees fit. And they're they're a good thing. But just as it is in Jesus' ministry, miracles themselves don't create faith. Seeing a miracle doesn't cause one to believe. Many of Jesus' miracles are responded to by disgust, others by leaving, you know they see Jesus feed the thousands and afterwards they just walk away and so here the benefit of these miracles that the apostles are doing is that the it gives an opportunity for these people to hear the gospel and so that's worth rejoicing in now the next section The high priest, again, jealous, has the apostles arrested and put in prison. And then you get a miracle as God sends an angel down into creation who opens the prison doors and restores them, brings them out of prison. And then shuts the door again because it's found shut the next day. And the angel commands them to go and preach about this life. And in my ESV text, I notice the word life is capitalized, um, kind of hinting at us that we should be viewing this as Jesus. Again, I am the way, the truth, and the life from John fourteen six. So the high priest calls for the, the officers to bring, bring the prisoners, the apostles, before the whole council. But when they go, they find the room empty. They're not there. And everybody's perplexed they're confused they're puzzled by what this might mean and then it's reported to them they're right back there in the temple teaching and the same fear that we saw in the jewish leaders back in jesus time just you know a couple months before that they weren't willing to arrest jesus because the crowds would rise up against them they have that same fear now they're afraid if they do anything Violent against the apostles in the face of the crowds that the crowds will react in defense of the apostles and attack them. So they don't. They bring them peaceably before the council. Verse 28, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name. You intend to bring this man's blood upon us. That's an interesting phrase that they use right there. I meant to look it up first, but let me look it up now. I'm going to search for blood and us showing up in the same verse um, in the gospel accounts. So, yeah, Matthew chapter 27 is where I, I was going with this. The Jewish people answered, His blood be on us and on our children. As they were interacting with Pontius Pilate. So, it's interesting to see Caiaphas here saying you intend to bring this man's blood upon us when Caiaphas and the others have already actually brought the blood of Jesus upon themselves. Their reference here is you're, gonna, you're trying to make us guilty for this man's death. Um, and in a sense, that's true. As Peter will even go on to preach for the fourth time now um, in verse 30, Our fathers raised Jesus whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. So that, that idea that the, the audience that Peter preaches to has killed Jesus, but God has raised him from the dead. He said that four times now. Um, what is it, chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4, and chapter 5? Is it once per chapter here that we're getting pretty much? Um, anyway, a crucial verse there is verse 29, though. Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. And this is true in our life today. Without going too much on tangent about government officials, all authority in this world comes from God. We are to obey our governing authorities with this one exception. If they instruct us to do something, if they command us to do something, contrary to God's commands. So for Peter's case here, stop preaching the gospel. Can't do that. Have to obey God rather than men. And that's the reminder of the first commandment. We shall have no other gods before the Lord. Verse 32, Peter said that the apostles are witnesses to Jesus being raised and even exalted. They saw the ascension. The Holy Spirit is a witness. And this is a biting phrase the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. In other words, God has not given you, speaking to Caiaphas and the others in the council, God has not given you his Holy Spirit, to which they are, verse 33, enraged. And they seek to kill the apostles, but Gamaliel stops them. Gamaliel is famous among the Jews as a great teacher. He's going to be the one that trains Saul slash Paul um, who's coming up here in a couple chapters for the first time for us. And he shares some wisdom with them. He brings up a couple of examples from the past of men named Thutis and Judas. Those rhyme. Um, who have created rebellions before. And that when they died, the rebellion just dissipated. It fell away. And so his encouragement to these men on the council now is to just let this go. If it's a plot of man... In its time, it'll fail, but if it's a plot of God, if it's God's doing, then you're opposing God, and that's not good. I mean, that's sin, by its very definition, is rebellion against the Lord. Now, unfortunately, even though they believe Gamaliel, verse 40, they choose to beat the apostles. So they didn't believe him all the way. Um, They beat the apostles. They again charge them not to tell anybody about Jesus, and they release them. Verse 41, the apostles rejoice that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. The name of Jesus can be supplied there at the end. That's the name that's being referred to. This is missing from the life of the Christian church in America today. It's a part of our our walk together in the Lord actually that's been missing for generations now in this land. And part of why we're probably struggling as a church body as we do. The Christian life is not a life of wealth and prosperity and happiness and and, and all that stuff that America chases. The the Christian life is one of suffering. In fact, we're told, we're promised we will suffer in scripture by Jesus himself, that we'll suffer for his name, and yet he calls us blessed for it. As you think of blessed are the persecuted for theirs is the kingdom of god in Matthew chapter 5 1st Peter chapter 3 well, oh no it's very 1st Peter 2 I think is where Peter tells us that suffering is actually a gift from god and so this view of suffering to to share in the suffering of Jesus is a good thing Paul in Romans chapter 5 tells us that suffering produces Endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. So, as a church today, to learn to suffer again, and to stand boldly in the midst of that suffering, not wavering, not complaining, not groaning, but rejoicing. That is actually a beautiful way that the church has shared the gospel for centuries. For when they, those who persecute you, when those who attack you, when those who seek to harm you see you respond in, with joy to your suffering, it just like the miracles did earlier in the chapter, it gives grounds for them to hear the gospel. They want to know why you have such hope. And in those situations in the past, Some of the very ones doing the persecutions, like Saul Paul, have been brought to faith. Although Saul Paul's conversion is very different. That's done by Jesus himself, but we'll come to that again in a couple of days coming up. They go to the temple. They go from house to house. Every day they do not cease teaching and preaching about Jesus. This is one to pick up on with your kids at the end, just to review from this chapter what do we learn about sharing the gospel? So you can talk about that path of suffering. You can talk about every day. Um, you can talk about going from house to house or, or you, you know, you can take this in a, a, several different angles. The, the, again, the phrase "We must obey God rather than men. That probably comes into play in the lives of your children, especially if they attend um, school at this point. So many things you can talk about with that kind of a question.